we'll be in the book of Zephaniah. So we're in the the end of the Old Testament, the minor prophets, they call it. So in between Habakkuk and Haggai, but those aren't easy to find. If you just go to Matthew and go backwards, Zephaniah, you'll go past Zechariah, not that one, but Zephaniah, P-H, will be in chapter one. But I'm so thankful God uh, has blessed us. He's watched over us. He's so he's a good God. Uh, I, I've already said it from the beginning of this service that we uh, uh, we are blessed today in so many ways. God uh, has he takes care of us. He hears our prayers. He saved our soul. He he's got big plans for us after this life. And I'm thankful for all those things. Uh, but I, I just want to get into his word. This is one of the special things that he's left us with uh, is his word. Uh, and uh you know, we're going to look at a, one of the verses we're going to use in Second Peter talks about even this earth will melt one day. Even the elements will burn with a fervent heat. But aren't you glad that even though this earth uh, and heavens and everything one day will be gone, I'm glad God's word will still be here. I'm glad it'll still uh, be just as true. Uh, and you've probably heard me say it many times. Uh, if, if we're going to have an agreement with God, if God's going to give us eternal life, that agreement has to be eternal too, right? Uh, so I'm glad this word is, uh, is going to be eternal as well. So Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 12 is where we're going to start. Again, thankful for God, thankful for his word. Zephaniah 1 12, and it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with candles and punish the men that are settled on their lees that saith in their heart, the Lord will not do good, neither will he do evil. Therefore their good shall become a booty and their houses a desolation and they shall build houses but not inhabit them and they shall plant vineyards but not drink the wine thereof. The great day of the Lord is near, it is near and hasteth greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty men shall cry there bitterly. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of the trumpet and alarm against the fenced cities and against the high towers. And I will bring distress upon men that they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord and their blood shall be poured out as dust and their flesh as dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath, but the whole land shall be devoured by fire of his jealousy, for he shall make even a speedy riddance of all them that dwell in the land. Lord, we thank you so much for this word today. We thank you for its truth. Lord, I thank you for, man, you've already richly blessed us here. We can feel your presence. And Lord, I pray that that would continue, that the Holy Spirit would touch hearts, soften hearts. Uh, and Lord, I pray that your word would help us to understand it, teach us to it today. Uh, fill me with the unction of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, most importantly at the end, Lord, I pray that someone would come to know you before it's too late. Lord, uh, that we would be strengthened today and encouraged and challenged in Jesus' name and amen. amen. 
Zephaniah, he's a prophet during the time of King Josiah. Uh, and he's, uh, you know, one of the things that's amazing about King Josiah is he was a good king, but the two kings before him were bad. They were evil kings, uh, but aren't you glad? Uh, you know, I've heard people say, uh, what is it, a generational poverty or a generational curse or things like that. Aren't you glad God can break those things? I'm glad he can break that. Uh, <clears throat> but the problem is you're not always guaranteed good after that because the next kings were not good after Josiah, uh, but they were worshiping false gods, Baal and other ones. They're worshiping the stars. Oh, by the way, we still do that today. It's called astrology. Thank you. Anyway, uh, um, they're sacrificing their children to Molech. They're doing all of these things. Uh, and uh, King Josiah, he does some reforms at the beginning, but then a lot more reforms come later in his life. Now, this book is kind of in the middle of that. Uh, so he does some early getting rid of the idol worship and stuff like that. I'll tell you what he does the next time when he really cleans house. By the way, the reason he really cleans house the second time is they find the book of the law. Remember that? They find it. It's been, uh, you know, hidden. It's been away. They haven't been looking at it. And all of a sudden, Josiah has it read to him, and he's convicted in his heart. And he says, you know what? We've made some reforms. We need to make some huge reforms. We need to really do something. 2 Kings 23, 7 says he break down the houses of the Sodomites that were by the house of the Lord. So that's part of the big reforms that come later. You know, I find that interesting in our day and age today and in the month that we're in. Uh, he didn't invite in the sodomites into the church. He kicked them out. Anyway, that's for free. Uh, but these same sins are mentioned in verse 4 and 5. We didn't read it, uh, but these things are going on. Remember, he's made some reforms, but not all of them yet. Uh, uh, but here's the problem. If you go back to that story with Josiah, even after Josiah found the book of the law, it was read to him. Uh, you know, he repented in the sight of the Lord. They made all these reforms. We find out later, Josiah dies an early death. And the nation just goes right back to what it was doing. Josiah's heart was revived. He, he repented. He changed. He drew close to the Lord. Amen. But everyone around him just followed the new rules. And then as soon as Josiah was gone, they went back to the idol worship, went back to the astrology, went back to everything. And that's the thing. You can't have a revival with rules you can't have her. I'm telling you what, even if we got all the right politicians in in Washington, D.C., the right Supreme Court justices, the right president, say they were all born again Christians, you cannot legislate salvation any more than you can legislate love. You can't do that. It's a personal relationship. So the nation of Israel is in trouble. They've got a good king. He's doing a good job and he's going to do even better once he puts the, uh, the law of the Lord in place. But they're in trouble. And if you know, in the times, the children of Israel, they would go back and forth between obeying the Lord and rebelling against the Lord. They go back and forth. And, and here's the thing. They were in a, a, a period of rebellion here, right? In this point, even with a good king and Zephaniah is a prophet. And here's what the Lord would do. He would send a wake up call. Now, in the time of the kings, he'd send prophets. In the time of the judges, he'd send an enemy to take him captive, usually, is what would happen. And we'd see this over and over again, uh, back and forth. Here's the wake-up call. 
Verse 12, and it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with candles and punish the men. You see what he's saying right here? And you're thinking, well, that sounds a little weird. Well, it sounds weird because we can just flip every light switch on and see everything, right? Our cars have headlights and everything else. In those days, you'd have to light a candle. If you're trying to find something at night, it would be hard to find. And especially in those days, their houses had flat roofs. So what could, during the day, they could act like they're all right and act like they love God and the God of Israel and everything else. Then at nighttime, they could go on their flat roof and they could worship the stars and nobody could see them. But you know what God's saying? I don't care if you hide it inside deep in your house. I don't care if you're doing it at night when nobody else can tell. I don't care if it's in your mind or anywhere else. He said, "You, I, I've got a candle lit and I can see everything. Amen. There's no hiding from God. And that's what he's reminding them. He says, hey, I can search uh, all the things that are going on. You know, he can search our heart and our mind as well. He knows what's going on. You can fool everyone around you. You can't fool God. Men love darkness, right? They love to do things in secret when nobody's watching, but there'll be no hiding from the judgment of God. And then this phrase comes next. The Lord will punish the men that are settled on their lees, L-E-E-S. And that's a strange phrase. I don't know about you. I read that. I didn't, it didn't click. I didn't know what anything. I didn't had no clue of what that meant. And here's the thing. When that happens in the Bible, we need to figure out what it means. Yeah. Amen. He's trying to teach us something. And I found out what that is. That settled on the lees is a phrase. It's a metaphor of when you have a, a liquid, something, a bottle of something, and it just sits for a long time. And it settles, right? You've got the bottom part, something settles, and the clearer part at the top. That's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, I'm going to punish them that have settled on the leaves, the thicker part at the bottom. And I thought just the other day, I saw this. We had a clear bottle of orange juice, and it had sat. We hadn't opened it, but it just sat in our refrigerator a long time. And then finally, I pull it out. It's got a couple days left till it expires. But what happened? The very bottom was so thick and I tried I turned it upside down and I was shaking that thing and it took a lot of shaking to really start to get it it was thick I mean it had really separated and it uh, it tasted all right I, I mean I'm still here we're all we're fine uh, this was a while back uh, but you could see it it just had really separated and the reason why it had done that is that it sat Amen. it had moved nothing had happened to it and this is what he's telling him. I think spiritually he's saying, hey, uh, uh, you, uh, th there are men that are just settled on their lees. And he said, I'm going to come and punish them. Right? That's what he's saying. You know, I think we got a word for this. Complacency. Yeah. Right? They become complacent spiritually. Just satisfied with where you're at. Don't want to move it. Don't want to disturb it. Right? Don't want to shake it up. Just let it settle there. And get hard at the bottom, right? That's what's happening. You know, the Bible says as Christians, we should never be complacent. You know what it says? 2 Peter 3, 18. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are to be growing in the Lord. Amen. 
But that complacency, what he's saying, I'll search Jerusalem with candles and punish the men that are settled on their lees, that say in their heart, the Lord will uh, not do good, neither will he do evil. So we see what's happening right here. That complacency is in their heart. That's what he's saying. They're not saying this phrase, the Lord will not do good, neither will he do evil. It was in their heart. And then the King James, the heart means the mind as well. He's, they're saying, hey, we don't deny that the Lord exists. Right? We're not denying that. We're, we're just saying that the Lord's not really intervening. He's not really doing much. Right, He's not really, maybe not in control, but, or maybe is in control, just isn't doing anything. You know, there are people that believe that the Lord created this world, but he wound it up and he let it go. And that he's just stepped back and is not doing anything. You know, there are people that believe that. It's ridiculous. The Bible doesn't support any bit of that. And you're thinking, well, I'm definitely, I don't believe that. I believe that God is active. I believe he intervenes. I, hey, if he wound it up and let it go, we'd never have a prayer answered, right? We'd never have a miracle. We'd never have anything. He just, he would just let us go. But notice they're saying in their heart, the Lord's not doing good. He's not doing evil. He's just not doing much, right? He, there's just not a whole lot going on. And that complacency, I think, is, is more than the, it's not the wind it up and toss it belief. Because later on, he's talking about judgment in this passage. I think what he's saying is that uh, when they're saying in their mind, the Lord uh, will not do good or won't do evil, it's a warning. He's saying God isn't doing anything. God won't do anything. And they're not saying it with their mouth. They're saying it with our life. That complacency is that God will never judge. So I don't need to be stirred up. I don't need to move. I can just sit there and settle because they've warned of judgment over and over again and it hasn't happened. I think that's the settling. Let's keep going. Verse 13, therefore your goods shall become a booty and their houses a desolation and they shall build houses but not inhabit them and they shall plant vineyards but not drink the wine thereof. So here, it's the complacency is not laziness. There, it's, he's not saying you're lazy. They're doing things but spiritually complacent because right here he says, hey, they're building houses. They're planting vineyards. That's hard work. Right? Farming, that's hard work. But he's saying, hey, uh, you're not choosing to live a tent and be lazy, uh, but you're, you're building a house. You're, you're working hard. You're collecting goods. And he's saying all those goods that you've worked so hard for will be stolen away. Yeah. That's what he's saying. You're, you're not going to enjoy any of that. Those goods will decay, right? Or they'll be stolen. Or later on, you'll sell them in a yard sale for pennies, Right? Because you're tired of it being there. It'll go away. All that stuff you worked on. And here's why. Verse 14. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hasteth greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord. Uh, the mighty men shall cry there bitterly. That day is a day of wrath. A day of trouble and distress. A day of wasteness and desolation. A day of darkness and gloominess. A day of clouds and thick darkness. He's saying. See, at first, Zephaniah is warning the children of Israel. Now he's warning the whole world. He's warning everybody now. He's talking about the day of the Lord is, 
is near, is near. When, when the Lord set up Israel, he made promises to them, right? He said, if you obey me, I'll do this. But if you disobey, I'll do that. That's what the Lord said to them. He said, hey, and, and remember, they would switch. They would obey the Lord for a while and rebel for a while and go back and forth. Uh, and the Lord would send a prophet to warn them. But you know what would happen? The Lord would send a prophet to warn, but judgment wasn't immediate. It would come later. Sometimes a couple decades would pass before the judgment came. But it would come. But what happened? They would get complacent. Right? Because the judgment wasn't immediate. The warning was there, but it wasn't immediate. And now he's talking about the great day of the Lord. That's when Jesus Christ comes back to this earth to judge. He's saying, and that day is near. It is near. And you're thinking, Mike, I don't understand it. Uh, Zephaniah wrote this over 2,600 years ago. And he's saying it's near. I don't, it doesn't make sense. Did he lie? Did he get it wrong? Why is he saying that? You know, Peter said that men asked him, where is the promise of his coming? Right? In 2 Peter chapter 3. Where's the promise of his coming? And Peter answers and the Holy Spirit answers it through Peter. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long suffering toward us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night yeah. in which the heavens shall pass away with the great noise and the elements shall melt with the fervent heat and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burnt up. The Lord is patient. They asked Peter, Jesus said he's coming back. Why isn't he back yet? It's, where's the promise? Where, where's the fulfillment? Jesus said he's coming in. They could ask Zephaniah, where's he? And here's the thing. In their mouth, they weren't saying it. But in their life, they were complacent because they didn't believe it. He's not going to judge us. We're God's chosen nation. We're Abraham's seed. We got all these promises. God will never judge us, even though time after time after time they'd seen it happen. All through their history, it had happened, but they kept saying, it's not us. But they weren't saying it with their mouth. They were saying it with how they lived their life. I'm going to be complacent. I'm going to be stagnant. I'm just going to let things settle, right? I'm going to, I'm going to work hard, but just loading up goods and different things. He's patient. Do you realize the Lord wants every single person to be saved? I get tired of people saying that we talked about it in Sunday school a little bit. I get tired of people saying that before everything began, God had a list of people that will be saved and there's no choice in the matter. They're just going to be saved. They can't resist it. And then there's another list of people that can't be saved. And it doesn't matter what they do. Uh, God, that, That's garbage. All right. It's, there's so many parts in God's word that go against it. Because right here in 2 Peter is another example. It's not the Lord's will that any should perish. His will is that everyone repents. That's his will. But he's not going to force it. Or everyone would repent. We get a choice in the matter. Jesus will return to this earth. And he's patient. He hasn't come yet. But Zephaniah says on that day when he returns, there's going to be wrath, trouble, distress, desolation, darkness, and thick darkness. That's what he said. And then Peter said everything's going to be burned up. It's all gone. 
The elements that make up this earth will even melt and everything in it. 17. And I'll bring distress upon men that they should walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord and their blood shall be poured out as dust and their flesh as dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath, but the whole land shall be devoured with, uh, by the fire of his jealousy for he shall make even a speedy riddance of all them that dwell in the land. He's describing the day that Jesus returns. And I wish the whole earth could hear that. It doesn't matter how much silver or gold you have. That's what he's saying. It won't be able to deliver them. My goodness. People today can get out of things if they have enough money. You may not want to believe it. You may think our justice system's better. You may think politicians are better, but I'm here to tell you, you've got enough money and the right connections, you get out of everything. Right? The Lord's saying, you won't get out of that day. You won't get out of my judgment. It doesn't matter how much you have. And here's the thing. The Lord didn't permit the children of Israel to rebel against him forever. He would send judgment to them. And the Lord hasn't changed. There'll be no escaping, no hiding, no bribing, no second chances. And in fact, Peter says, Jesus will return as a thief in the night. When does a thief come? When you don't expect it, when you're complacent. I work at a bank and I, I my counterpart's the security uh, officer at the bank. And, and, and she tells me so many times how it frustrates her that, uh, that they, we, she has to, you have to do a bunch of things. If you, if you work in the branch, we got a bunch of people that have worked in branches before of a bank. You've got to do a lot of things, uh, uh, you know, clear the building, put in codes, do all kinds of things because someone could rob the bank. And you want to put every protection in place, every, everything in place to discourage that and to catch things and everything else and to protect the people that work there. But what happens? Bank doesn't get robbed for a long time. You don't hear about it in the news for a while. What happens? They get complacent, yeah. right? Oh, well, I kind of checked everything. Well, I forgot to code in that I was here. They start just getting real complacent. Like I said, my counterpart, that fires her up. But what would happen if you got real complacent and that was the day the bank got robbed? Yeah. Hmm. Now what if you got real complacent and today was the day the Lord came back? Yeah. Or called you home. Or you died. It's a lot bigger, right? Oh, it's serious at the bank. I'm talking about eternity. Yeah. Amen? Amen? You won't escape it. You won't get out of it. Complacent. You got to prepare every single day. Right? That's what, at the bank, that's what you do. You prepare every day that today's the day. But they got complacent. Okay, so they've scared us now, right? Peter scared us. Zephaniah scared us. The bank story scared us. What do we do? Look over at chapter 2, verse 3. What's it say? One verse. Seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought this judgment. Seek righteousness, seek meekness, and it may be ye shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. And I'm here to tell you, you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You need one before it's too late. 
He's coming, right? He's coming back. And Jesus, he gives us the free gift of salvation, right? He died for our sins on the cross. Sin is so serious to God that he sent his only begotten son out of love to die for our sins. And Jesus did it willingly. He died for us. He bled, endured the, a cruel death so you and I could come to him for salvation. You've got to do that before it's too late. I don't know how long you'll live. I don't know anything. I don't know those things and you don't know it, but you have to be ready because we, we mentioned this Sunday school too. He's offering the free gift of salvation, but that offer isn't open forever. This may be the last offer. I don't know. Maybe you'll get another hundred offers. I don't know, but we're not guaranteed. We talked about Pharaoh this morning and God hardened his heart. That's controversial today. Uh, across churches, some say, well, Pharaoh never had a choice. No, no. Here, What happens with clay? You mold it to the way you want it. And then when you get it where you want it, you put it in the kiln. Once it comes out of that, it's not changing anymore. It's hardened. That's what happened to Pharaoh's heart. Same thing. He made a choice. He rejected God. He rejected God however many times he got. And then the Lord said, that's it. I'm hardening it. He's not changing his mind again. You know people like that. Yeah. You know people like that. Their hearts have been touched by the Lord. And they've rejected it so many times that suddenly it's hardened now. And they don't even want to hear about the Lord. That's right. Yeah. They don't want it. Sure is. I don't know how long that will happen. And the older you are, the more likely it is to happen. Amen? It's harder to witness to a nine-year-old. Or, I'm sorry, it's easier to witness to a nine-year-old than a 70-year-old. We've well, heard of set in the ways, hardened heart. Same thing. And maybe you're already saved by Jesus Christ. Praise God. What do you need to do? Seek the Lord. What's he say? Seek ye the Lord. Before we stand before him and give an account, every Christian will give an account to Jesus Christ for what you've done with the life, the new life that he's given you. If we're complacent, what happens? Remember the orange juice? It all settled at the bottom. You're not going to drink that. It'd be gross. What do we have to do? Stir it up. Shake it up, right? If you're complacent spiritually, what do you have to do? Stir it up. Shake it up, right? Get, uh, get something to move. If you've allowed something to drop spiritually, you've got to pick it back up. If there's a hidden sin and you're a Christian, you need to repent of that. Amen? You need to live righteously, right? We've got to do that. And if there's a calling that God's put on your life, stop ignoring it. Stop excusing it. Answer it. Do it. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as ye see the day approaching as each day passes, we're getting closer to and closer to the return of Jesus Christ. Now, I believe he's going to call the church home ahead of time. I believe that based on what the scripture says. But even if you don't agree with that, it doesn't matter. One day we're going to stand before Jesus. One day he's coming to this earth. Amen. And he will judge. And what's it say? 
We like to use the second verse that I read, 25, that says this is the importance of us coming together, worshiping together. But sometimes we forget 24 tells you one of the reasons why. To provoke one another. What's that mean? Stir one another up. I don't know about you. Have you come in here and been complacent? I have. Amen? Has your soul hadn't been stirred up in a while? And part of that settled down at the bottom and it's gross? And aren't you glad when someone gets up and testifies or someone sings or someone talks about an answered prayer or someone just praises the Lord, lifts up hands or something like that, and then all of a sudden my complacent heart over there starts to get stirred up. I start to get excited. Do you realize I have preached behind this pulpit with a complacent heart before? I'll admit it. But I like, I like it so much better when it's stirred up. When God is in it. When God is in it. Uh, just fill it my heart. I tell you what. He can do the same for you. Yeah. Maybe you need a stirring up today. Yeah. Maybe you need that today. I'll tell you what. Maybe my, maybe something I say or someone else says, maybe that'll help stir you up. I'll tell you the best way to get stirred up is to come to Jesus. Amen? Amen. It just, whatever it is, if you're lost, give your soul over to Him. If it's something uh, uh, that's standing in between you and Him, give it over to Him. Let him stir you up. He will. Provoke one another. And then Zephaniah's statement, he says, Seek ye the Lord. But I like the last part of that, verse 3 of chapter 2. It may be ye shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. You know what Jesus said? Well, you're thinking, well, Mike, that's, that's the children of Israel. That's Old Testament. I can't grab a hold of that. Well, I'm glad Jesus said in Luke 21, 36, Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man, which was Jesus' way of describing himself. That's what he's saying. Watch ye therefore, pray always, that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass. What things? The judgment, the punishments, the wrath. And I read that, that I may be accounted worthy. And I'll tell you what, Mike is not worthy in and of himself, and neither are you. You know how we get worthy to stand before Jesus Christ? We bow before him ahead of time and tell him we're unworthy. Amen. Tell him we're a sinner. And just give our life over to him and let him cleanse you. Let him forgive you yes. your sins. Let him make you a new creature in Christ. And you get a whole brand new start. Yes. If you've never done that, you need to. Amen. Before it's too late. I can't tell you how many more warnings you'll get. You're thinking, Mike, well, I, I can come back tonight and get another warning. You're not promised even tonight. The time is now. Maybe you're a Christian here today. And like I said, maybe you've grown complacent. Some of us have been saved a long time. And I'll tell you, there's been too many times where I've just put things on autopilot. I've played that piano a long time. I can play that on autopilot. Amen? I can sing the songs on autopilot. Unfortunately, I've even preached on autopilot. I don't like it. And as soon as I'm done, I'm like, Lord, why did I do that? Why did I not trust you? Why did I not take care of that thing that I knew I needed to take care of? Why did I not just step out in faith and do what you called me to do? Maybe that's you today. 
You know what I'm saying? Let's stir it up. Yeah. Amen? Shake it up. And maybe you need to shake, some of us need to shake a little harder than others. Or maybe there's a certain part, maybe maybe a lot of things are going good, but there's one, that one part you haven't given over to the Lord. Yeah. You need to today. Because what did the Lord say? We'll go back to that first verse we read. And it shall come to pass that at that time I will search Jerusalem with candles and punish the men that are settled on their lees that say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, neither will he do evil. See, with their mouth, they could be saying the Lord loves us, the Lord will protect us, the Lord will. But in their heart, they're saying the Lord's not doing anything. It's been a long time. He's not going to judge us. He's not going to look at how I live. He's not going to care if I spend uh, uh, this time and money and energy and everything else after I'm saved apart from his will. Yes, he does care. Yes. Don't make the mistake that they were making to Peter and saying, where's the Lord at? Where's his coming? He's not coming back. We'll never stand before him. That's a lie. I don't care... If the Lord waits a hundred thousand years to come back, he's coming back. That's right. I don't care if it's a million years before we stand before him in judgment. We will. Yes. Amen? Amen. We will. And here's the thing. You don't have a hundred million years to live for the Lord. Right. Maybe you'll get 70. I don't know. Or maybe not. But I'll tell you what you have right now. You have today. And if the Lord wakes you up tomorrow, you've got tomorrow. Why don't we stir things up? Is, is your soul, is it, what's it called, the phrase, settled on your lees? Have you grown complacent? Let's stir things up. I'm going to open up the altar. Maybe you need to come today. We'll get, uh, we'll get a song. Maybe you need stirred up. And I, I, like I told you, the best way to get stirred up is just, just be honest with God. Just be honest. I found in my life, the more honest I am with him, the more honest he is with me. Now, he doesn't lie to me, but if I'm putting on a show, praying to him, I'm not getting anything out of the Lord. But when I just lay it out and tell him what he already knows, that's when I found real change, real help. Listen, this life is hard. We are juggling responsibilities. We're juggling uh, a lack of time. We're, we're juggling financial. Uh, you know, uh, I don't think anyone in here is independently wealthy. Right? We've got a lot of things we've got to deal with. But I'm telling you what, the Lord is worth it. And he will help you not only serve him, he'll help you in every part of your life. Now, I'm not here saying you're going to become a millionaire if you throw extra money in the plate, but I am telling you one thing. You get serious with the Lord and you watch how he touches your life. Yeah. As she sings, we're going to open up the altar. Do you need to come? Zephaniah was warning the people. The Lord is coming and one of the things he's going to punish is complacency. The Lord's the same. He does not want you to get set in a spot just putting on the parking brake and just sitting and waiting it out. Grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.
draw closer to Him. Learn of Him. That's what we're to be doing. Serving Him. Where are you at today? How long has it been since things have been shook up? Or are you just in the same routine? Where are you at today? You know. You know. Where are you at? Oh, I want revival in this church, but I'm not willing to even be shaken a little bit. I'll tell you what, a revival is a huge shaking. Oh, I, I, I want this and that from the Lord, but I'm, I'm just, just going to stay right here. You will not prove the Bible wrong. And I'll tell you, I've tried some of these things with my life over and over again. And if I live longer, I'll keep trying them. I'm stubborn. And I'm forgetful. Right? I, I have learned over and over again that if I put the Lord first in my life, everything takes care of itself. Do you think every day I put the Lord first in my life? No. But then I learn. I say, you know what? You're right, Lord. I, I start asking myself, or, or no, I'll complain to the Lord. It's usually that, Lord, nothing's working. Right? Why is everything going wrong? You know, he didn't tell me. I told you so. He loves me. Yeah. He says, Mike, you know trying to do this the wrong way. Are you there today? Are you there? Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for its truth. Lord, I pray that you'd help us. Lord, Lord, stir us up spiritually. Lord, draw us close to you. Lord, I'm thankful for what you're doing in this church. Lord, I'm thankful for the, uh, Lord, if there's any lost, I pray that they would come to know you before it's too late, before their hearts are hardened, before they leave this earth. But Lord, for the Christians, Lord, help us in this precious time we have left to do your will. Lord, shake us up. Lord, help us, Lord, to do the things you've called us to do and bless us in it. Lord, you promised you would. Lord, I thank you for all things. Lord, our desire is revival. Lord, shake us. Get us out of our comfort zone so we can see more people saved. And Lord, we love you. We thank you for all things. In Jesus' name we pray. And amen. 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 All right.